Revelation chapter 13, let's read the first 10 verses. I encourage you to bring your Bibles, by the way. Uh, You can look on your mobile device, but if we get a big solar flare, you're going to need a book. Um, I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the names of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth was as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death. And his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast, who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue 42 months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given unto him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man hath an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. So we come to this interesting picture of this personality, this evil one, this son of perdition, this wicked one, uh, the Antichrist, which we get from 1 John chapter 2. He's the one who uses that term, Antichrist. An Antichrist is not, you know, um, this ugly-looking monster, werewolf, Frankenstein. Antichrist is the instead of Christ. You know, we have God's Christ, Jesus, and we have Satan's Christ. And Satan's a deceiver from the beginning, so he's smart enough. He's not sending us, you know, Dracula with a dark cape. No, this person is going to be GQ. They're going to be brilliant. They're going to have the answer to the world's problems. And you can see the way the world is. They're ready to follow anybody that's got answers to problems. Uh, No doubt he's going to speak every dialect there is fluently and and be able to talk to any people anywhere. Um, He's going to be able to dialogue about anything. He's going to be a leader that's going to astound the world. But the Lord calls him a beast because he sees something in him that is not... You know, it's negligible, at least for several years, to the human eye. It tells us here that John sees him, or 
Your translation might say, he stood upon the sand. John says, I stood upon the sand. It takes us to the same place either way. I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. So, If you're here with us today and you're a visitor, we apologize right up front. You're already thinking, what in the world did I walk into? I knew my relative was in trouble going to that place in the meter factory. Um, It's an old meter factory, and time is running out. There's certain meters you should pay attention to. So we begin with this picture of this beast rising up out of the sea, seven heads, ten horns, and upon the ten horns there are crowns. When we meet the great dragon in chapter 12, verse 3, same description, seven heads, ten horns. So we meet the beast described. There's a family resemblance here. Uh, He looks like his dad. Um, The interesting thing is in in chapter 12, verse 3, it says that the seven heads had crowns on them because it's giving us a picture of kingdoms through history. And when we get to this verse, it says... The twelve horns had the crowns. And when it's described in chapter 17, it describes those twelve horns and it says they've received no kingdom as of yet. So this chapter is looking future. Chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, John was told, I'm, I'm going to show you the things that must take place after these things. So this had to be future. And it's future as he's looking at it. This beast is rising up out of the sea. Chapter 11, chapter 17, 8, I believe, tells us he arose from the abyss, from that dark, bottomless place. Here it says he rises up out of the sea. Interesting to hear commentators argue over the process. Is it the Mediterranean Sea? Uh, Is it the Aegean Sea? Is he looking in this direction or that direction? I think the Bible is always the best commentary on the Bible, particularly Revelation is the best commentary on Revelation. It says in verse 9 of 17, Here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. So there were seven world-dominating kingdoms. We're going to get to that. And there are seven kings. Five are fallen. One is, and the other is not yet come. So five are fallen. Um, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Greece, Medo-Persia. Five are fallen. One is Rome. Uh, John's writing under Rome. And none of this is a shock to him because they're mandating Caesar worship in his day. So he's not shocked to see a prophecy about the future where they're going to mandate that an individual is worshipped. And it says, then one is still to come. That's the Antichrist kingdom. So verse 12 then tells us, and the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings which have received no kingdom as of yet. They're going to receive it for one hour with the beast. Verse 15 says, And he said unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So I think we see a picture here of the Antichrist arising out of the cauldron that we presently live in. All of the unrest globally, everything going on around us, 
Daniel 7 is going to tell us much the same thing, and he sees the beast arise out of the waters, which are, he tell, tells us, people, nation, tongues. So, look, we're looking at a world in turmoil right now. I don't know about you guys, uh, but when I watch it, I think this is madness. This is utter madness. When I was in first grade, I understood things better than some of the things that are going on around us now. This is madness. And yet I look at the world and how primed it is for an antichrist to come. These are the days we're living in, guys. It ain't going to get, you know, we're hoping, well, you know, things are going to get better. The Sixers are going to win the championship. You know, maybe the Eagles have a good season again. We're going back. We're never going back to normal. We're a place we've never been before. God has chosen us, like Esther, for such a time of this as this. We're here, and look at the world around us. The world is troubled. You can see, you know, if somebody comes up with a vaccine that really works and isn't dangerous, you know, if somebody comes up with an answer to this, if somebody comes up with an answer to that, you can see people running. And then you look at our culture... And, you know, you have this division right here. It says if you don't get the mark of the beast, you can't buy, sell, get a job and so forth. We're already looking at a culture saying, what? You know, you're not wearing a mask. You're a hater. You're a spreader. You're not getting the vaccines because you hate the rest of us. There's always these these lines are already being drawn and there's passion and anger and all these things attached to it. Then at the same time, we're creating a whole generation who's being promised everything for free. Free education, free medical care, free apartments, free phone, free fall. You know, we're living, we're seeing a generation, not you, but we're seeing a generation raised up with an entitlement mentality. And what they're listening to and believing is we should get free. And it's no longer the generation that wants to be free. It's a generation that wants to get free. And the Antichrist is going to come handing everything out to everybody. This is not any longer about be free. People fought for that. People shed their blood for that. We experience a, set, a certain levels of freedom in this country, but now it's a get free. And the Antichrist is going to come and hand it out, and the world's going to wander after. You remember Jesus, when he was on his, on his way to Jerusalem, and, and he fed the multitudes with the loaves and the fishes. It says afterwards they wanted to take him and make him king by force. They didn't want to make him king because he did miracles, because he preached a sermon on the mount. They didn't want to make him king because he rebuked the wind and the sea. They want to make him king because he raised the dead. They want to make him king because he gave him free bread and fish. That's the king they're looking for. Well, the Antichrist, is he alive today? We have a, a discrepancy here. Some people think he is. Some people think he's not. See, even he, he's causing division here, you know. <laughs> Uh, you know, I don't. I can't biblically say with authorities alive today. In my heart, I'm thinking he's got to be somewhere. He's got to be somewhere. Uh, you know, and the world we're living in is no longer run by countries with national borders. The world that we're living in is run by international corporations. It's run by money. It runs everything. 
And what this chapter is going to tell us again is that all the conspirators, I mean, who pulls together Dorsey, you know, and Zuckerberg and Elon Musk, who calls together all the, the millionaires doing all this stuff? There's got to be a puppet master somewhere. But the great thing for you and I is we know this. Again, all the conspirators are going to get conspirated. We're part of the ultimate conspiracy. And then they're going to have to make up a conspiracy when we all disappear one day and, and have this big story. Right? The Antichrist could be alive somewhere. Things are changing so fast. Mandates are being put on people. Our freedoms are being taken away. It makes me wonder, is, is there a puppet master these days behind the scenes? I don't know. But we are headed there. None of us should be shocked. You know, so many Christians are like, I can't believe this. I can't believe this. What do you mean you can't believe it? We've been teaching it for 30 years. Why can't you believe it? Now it's here. It's coming. It's around us. And it's the world that we're living in. And it makes Jesus Christ and his return sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. I believe in all of your lives, as we're watching this happen, you should have all been saying, Lord, you know, I was kind of excited about heaven. I'm really excited about heaven now, Lord. Anytime you want to do it, here I am, Lord. I'm ready to defy gravity and get out of here. He stood upon the sand of the sea, and he saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads, ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, looking to those that will rule within one hour, upon his heads the names of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like, it wasn't, it was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon, now the dragon and the beast are separate. The dragon is Lucifer, the beast is the Antichrist, and the dragon gave him his power, dunamis, and his seat of great authority, exousia, his royal right. So this beast, when it comes, now look, the beast, when it comes on the page in front of us, is both a kingdom and a person. Uh, the, the kingdom is reflected in the beast personality. Daniel gives us a remarkable look into this. In Daniel chapter 7, you don't have to turn, I'll read. But one thing that's important for us to see here, I think, as it begins, is Daniel says, he sees this creature rise out of these creatures, rise up out of the sea. He said the first one's like a lion that stands up on his hind legs and has eagle wings that are plucked off. The second is like a great bear that has three ribs in his mouth that devours much flesh. The third one is like a leopard with wings and four heads and uh, it moves with great speed. And then the fourth beast, he said, is unlike any of the ones that are before. It had iron teeth. It's this great beast. And it's, he says he consumes the other beasts that are before it. So we have this interesting picture. A lot of Bible teachers and guys that I love have said that chapter 2 in Daniel is a picture of man's kingdoms from man's perspective. There, in fact, as Daniel interprets for Nebuchadnezzar, he says, O Nebuchadnezzar, thou art that head of gold. There's a head of gold, chest and arms of silver, valuable, Medo-Persians, the belly of bronze, the Greek empire, the, the legs of iron, Rome, and then the feet of iron and miry clay, a last day's revival of the Roman empire. 
And then guys will say, well, chapter 7 is God's perspective, and he doesn't see them as precious metals. He sees them as beasts. And, uh, you know, so the first one you have is this lion. Well, the problem with Nebuchadnezzar being the lion, he's been dead close to 50 years by this point in time, I believe. And in chapter 2, he said, you are that head of gold. It says, these are four kings Chapter 7, verse 17, that shall arise future out of the earth. So this can't be Nebuchadnezzar. People say, well, there were lions with wings all over the gates of Babylon. They're in Berlin. You can see them. Well, if you go see them, you'll realize that they are not lions with wings. They are dragons with wings. There's not a lion with wings anywhere on the gates of Babylon. There were lions, but the creatures with wings are dragons with wings, not lions. So these seem to be contemporary. Look, he says, he says these other creatures, look down in verse 7 and 8. Uh, I'll read it to you. I told you not to go there. <laughs> After this I saw, and in the night visions, behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth, and it devoured and break in pieces, and stamped the residue with his feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns, and I considered the horns and so forth, and there came up among the ten horns a little horn. That horn had eyes like a man, and he had a mouth speaking great things, the Antichrist. So it says here, these three beasts stood before the fourth beast. For those of you who like to dig, you remember that from chapter 2 through chapter 7, the book of Daniel is written in Aramaic. It, when, when the book of Daniel is written in Hebrew, it's speaking to the Hebrew people. It switches then when world kingdoms are introduced in chapter 2, and it's in Aramaic through chapter 7. Here, when it says these three creatures stood before this great iron beast, the word before is never speaking of sequence. It's never chronological. It is a, it's an Aramaic preposition, and it always means in the presence of. These first three beasts were standing in the presence of the fourth beast. In fact, it's used further in the chapter when the Ancient of Days stands before the throne of the Almighty. The idea is in the presence of. So what the language mandates here is that these are contemporary world powers. That in the last days there's going to be a world power like a lion, there's going to be one like a bear, there's going to be one like a leopard, and then there's going to be this unbelievable political power that emerges that kind of incorporates all the other ones. That's why we see them in Revelation 13:2, all incorporated into the great beast. Uh, Sir Robert Anderson, who wrote long ago, many of the biblical scholars will say, look, what could be the lion with eagle's wings standing upright like a man? Well, this insignia of Great Britain is a lion standing on his hind feet. Eagle's wing plucked the United States, no doubt. The great bear consuming much flesh. Cover of Time magazine a number of years ago, the great bear coming across the top of the globe, Russia. The leopard with four heads and wings uh, some try to say, well, that's, uh, you know, uh, Alexander gives the kingdom to his four generals, Lysimachus, uh, uh, Seleucid, Ptolemy, and, you know, his four. Well, there's none of that in chapter 2. 
This is some consortium, no doubt, of Asian nations. We know in chapter 16, 200 million are going to come from the east to confront the Antichrist. So, so there's the kings of the east will come. So there's this interesting picture here. And they all stand in the presence of this great beast that rises up distinct from all of them. And you'll notice in that picture in chapter 7, there's no ancient Rome. It doesn't go from gold to silver to bronze to iron lakes. That's completely missing. It, it goes, it's only strictly the last, you know, form of a revived Roman Empire that then incorporates all of those other nations. So world powers, it looks like America, Russia, other countries are going to sink to a second world power, a third world power. They're going to be absorbed into a great world power that is still to evolve around us, no doubt. So it says here in Revelation, it says, And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and had feet as the feet of a bear, and had the mouth as the mouth of a lion. All those are incorporated. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat with great authority. Now, I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. So, again, scholars would say, well, this is a picture of the Roman Empire that, that it died in 476 or whatever year they assigned to it. And it's going to revive again in the last days. You, you know, you can, you can see some of that. But this particular thing is spoken of three times in the chapter. If you look at verses 12, it says, and he exercises all the power of the first beast before him and he causes the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed in verse 14 it says he deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast saying unto them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound of a sword and did live so three times and those are all singular Masculine personal pronouns evolve. So we're talking about an individual who is wounded in some way and then comes back to life. Zechariah mentions it and says, Woe unto the idle shepherd in chapter 11. Idle shepherd is not I-D-L-E, like a shepherd is not doing anything. But I would say to any pastor who's listening, Woe unto the idle shepherd who's not doing anything. But it's woe unto the I-D-O-L. The, the idol, worshiping an idol. Woe unto the idol shepherd that leaveth the flock. The sword shall be upon his arm and upon his right eye. His arm shall be clean dried up and his right eye shall be utterly darkened. So it says here about the sword being on him, uh, the deadly wound he receives and he's healed. Perhaps that's why everybody receives the mark on their right hand or in their forehead, because that's where his wounds were to identify with him. We'll talk about that as we move forward. But here, this deadly wound, and he's resurrected. <clears throat> Look, you go through the gospel, and you go through the book of Acts, the resurrection is always attached to the good news. Always. The Antichrist is going to counterfeit a resurrection. 
You know, he doesn't like the fact that people love Christ and follow him, the risen one. He doesn't like the fact that the two prophets in chapter 11 rose from the dead after three and a half days. Uh, And when they did, they were suspended by Twitter and Facebook for violating the no resurrection clause. Uh, He doesn't like that. And now he's going to duplicate a resurrection and says the whole world's going to wonder after him because of that. Is it when this, this happens midpoint in the tribulation, when the two prophets are killed, Second Thessalonians, he goes into whatever temple or structure is rebuilt and proclaims himself to be God. Is he shot then by a religious Jew? Does something happen at that point in time? We don't know, but he has a deadly wound. He's resurrected, and the whole world wonders after him. This is so interesting, because we have a Christ who came, who walked among us, who did miracles, who died, and who was resurrected, that we follow. This is a scene where Satan has a Christ, the Antichrist, the instead of Christ. There's miracles attached to the, the false prophet in his ministries, miraculous things. He receives a wound and dies, and he resurrects. <clears throat> and it says the whole world wonders after him. Why won't the whole world wonder after our Christ? Why do they like the other guy's Christ? Isn't it interesting? It's a simple answer. Look, God's Christ, Jesus Christ, He came with the answer to a particular problem. Sin, hell and the grave. God's Christ comes to solve the problem of sin. And he pays for our sin in his own blood. He resurrects, he ascends to heaven, and he's coming again for us because he's purchased an eternal destiny for us through his own work. So God's Christ comes and deals with the issue of sin. Our world doesn't want to hear about that. Satan's Christ comes, and he's got the economic answers, the military answers, the pandemic answers, you know, education answers. He's got the answers to everything, and that's the Messiah the world wants. Gimme, 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 gimme. And isn't it interesting? This individual will come, will be genius. The world will wonder. And he goes through this miraculous resurrection, and the whole world wonders after him, And look what it says in the next verse there. Verse 4 says, And they, the whole world, they worshipped the dragon, that's Satan, which gave power to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast who is able to make war with him? He just killed the two prophets. Who's going to, you know, that nobody could, you know, deal with for 1,260 days. He did it. Who's able to make war with him? He was killed. He's come back to life. But the interesting thing is it says first they worshipped the dragon. You remember when Satan came to Jesus in the wilderness, the temptation, says the devil took him up into a high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world. John's on the sand looking at the sea, which is obviously a bigger picture. Uh, It says here he took him to a high mountain, he showed him all of the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto Jesus... All this power will I give to thee and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me and to whomsoever I will give it. If therefore thou wilt worship me, all this 
shall be thine. That's all the devil wants. He wanted Jesus to worship him. He said, anybody's willing to do that, I'll give them all this. God's Christ wouldn't do it. His Christ is going to do it. And that's what, that's what the enemy wants. He wants to be worshipped. He said, I'll be like the Most High. Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, give us a picture of who he is, what he's like, what are his motives, what does he want. And it says here, the whole world worships the dragon. You know, when, when people get the mark of the beast, they know what they're doing. It's halfway through the tribulation. You know, my wife will see things on TV and say, you think that's the mark of the beast? No, that ain't the mark of the beast. How do you know? Because I'm still here. <clears throat> you know, people say, well, a visa card's the mark of the beast because it's got a V and a 1, that's 6. And, uh, and, and uh, S is, stands for 6. That's how 6 begins. An A means 6 somewhere. I don't know. Uh, visa card is not the mark of the beast. Uh, you, you know, spiritually, you don't have to be afraid of your visa card. Economically, you should be terrorized by it. Uh, right? This is something that people willingly take halfway through the tribulation, and it seems to be an overt mark on them. It's no secret thing. It doesn't seem to be a chip. Everybody's worried about the chip now. Uh, you heard Bill Gates saying there's a chip they developed now. And if you get the chip... It, and you scan it, it will tell you whether you're negative or positive for COVID. I mean, I, I like chips and dip, but I don't like—I don't go for that, right? <laughs> Leave me alone. You know, I always think here's here's a techie that wants to come up with a problems to my health. I'm thinking if you need heart surgery, or brain surgery, let Zuckerberg do it. If if techies know how to do that stuff better than doctors. Uh, why don't you let? Uh, why don't you guys take care of each other? And then tell us what to do. <clears throat> Forgive me. That'll probably all have to be edited. I, I I never really. There's certain lines I want to cross, but I don't cross. But here, the whole world now worships the dragon. That's relative to the mark. And the beast. The whole world's worshiping the antichrist, the beast that was dead and has come back to life again. And, and because of that, they're saying, who's able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth. I think 11 times or something in the chapter says there was given to him. Sometimes by Satan, sometimes by the Lord. But the Lord is sovereign through all of this. There was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue 42 months. Not a day earlier or a day later. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, his dwelling, and those that dwell in heaven. Blasphemy. You know, look, we, don't, we think about that in one term, cursing or whatever. No, look, there are people who malign God. They malign the plan of salvation. They malign God's son. They malign God's character. Those things are blasphemous. And the Antichrist is going to do that. In fact, Daniel tells us this in chapter 11. It says, And the king shall do according to his will. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak marvelous things against the god of gods and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished. For that is that 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 is determined shall be done. Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, 
nor regard any god, for he shall magnify himself above all, but in his estate shall be uh, shall he honor the god of forces, military power, and a god whom his fathers knew not shall he honor. So it tells us he's going to speak great things, so forth. And, and, he's, and he's going to have no regard for the God of his fathers. That's a Jewish thing. Nor for the desire of women. It doesn't say the desire for women. People try to say the Antichrist is going to be homosexual. Uh, I mean, I don't know that. Nothing surprises any of us these days, right? But uh, it's the desire for women. It tells us in First John chapter 2, when it's talking about the Antichrist, it says he does not regard the father or the son, That's what it's saying in Daniel. He has no regard for the God of his fathers or for the desire of women. What did women desire? In Israel, if you were a barren, you were considered cursed. Because every young gal in Israel that got pregnant was hoping she was going to give birth to the Messiah. And this one who comes has no regard for the God of his fathers or the desire of women. But he's exalting himself above everything that's called God, it says. And he's blaspheming. And he blasphemes God, his dwelling place in them that are in heaven. And verse 7 says, And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. That power is given to him. And power was given to him over all kindreds, all languages, all people, all tongues. You may have some different list there. But the idea is he has global authority over the whole world. It's given unto him to make war with the saints. We hear that and go, rut row. I knew we should, I knew we we're going to be here. No, no, no. He makes war with the saints and he overcomes them. That's allowed by a sovereign God. Saints are not just in the New Testament. Matthew 24 speaks of the Old Testament saints. The word saints is used in nine Old Testament books. It's in Deuteronomy, 1 Samuel, 2 Chronicle, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, seven time, six times in Daniel 7, Hosea, Zechariah. The Old Testament in multiple places talks about God's Old Testament people as saints, those who have genuine faith and are believers. Here, he's persecuting the Jews. He, he killed the two prophets. He hates the 144,000. And, and it tells us he came down to earth, he's mad, and he's persecuting the woman, Israel. And it says it is given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. These are tough verses. These are tough verses. Look, around our world today, there are Christians that are martyred, that are persecuted, that are thrown in prison. I mean, who would have ever thought we'd see it in Canada? And it wants to come here. There are always a couple of years to the left of us. It's going to end up. There's this animosity. Understand who's behind the scenes that feeds that. This is a spiritual battle. This is not political. It's not economic. There is a spiritual war behind the scenes. Period. And it affects us in our physical existence in this world. And when we pray and when we study God's word, we communicate, we need to keep that in mind. There is an enemy. It says here, it's given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. 
And power was given him over all kindreds, all tongues, all nations. Look, comes on the scene as a man of peace, war in the Middle East between Russia and Iran and Israel, all but the invading armies, all but one-sixth. The hinder six are destroyed. It breaks the back of Russia, breaks the back of radical Islam. Then somebody could come out of Europe and guarantee the world peace. Nobody can do that now, not if Israel has Russia and Islam on their front porch. There's nobody powerful enough in Europe to say this. But he's going to come out of a revived Roman Empire. He's going to sign a seven-year peace treaty, Daniel tells us, with the nation of Israel and the nations of the world. That will identify him. Everybody's going to wonder after him because in a, in a limited nuclear exchange, something goes on. Every father's going to say, man, these politicians need to do something. I can't live with this. My wife and my kids, I work, you know, every mom's going to say, somebody needs to do something. We got kids. What's going on? You know, the, 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 there's going to be a scream for an answer, and he's going to step onto the scene, sign a seven-year peace treaty. The world's going to wonder after him. And then he's going to betray Israel and that seven-year treaty in the middle and proclaim himself to be God. There will be those then that will flee. Again, Zacharias tells us two out of every three Jews will be slaughtered, worse than the Holocaust. Pray for, for Jerusalem, the peace of Jerusalem, the people of Israel. It says, Power was given him over all kindreds, tongues, and nations, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life slain from the foundation of the world. Whose names are not written in the Lamb's book slain from the foundation of the world. It's interesting to hear the scholars argue, does it mean that it was written from the foundation of the world, or does it mean the Lamb was slain from the foundation of the world? You know, you jerk around the Greek enough, you can get it to agree with you. What is it talking about? Is it that the, the writing took place before the foundation of the world? Or is it that the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world? Yes, it is. It's both of those. You know, we're told in Revelation chapter 17, verse 8, that it was written before the foundation of the world. We're told in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, that the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. Paul tells you and I in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, that we were chosen in him from the foundation of the world. Those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, slain from the foundation of the world, what do you do with that? What do we do with that? Look, I, you know, in Luke chapter 10, the disciples came back, including Judas, and said, yeah, you know, we, we, we've raised the dead, we've healed the sick, we've done miracles, even the demons are subject to us. And Jesus said, guys, don't rejoice in those things. Rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Whatever else we do and don't understand about the Antichrist, when we sing here, when we worship, we can rejoice that our names are written in heaven, right? Right? And, and when you get there, you know that's not like you're going to a wedding reception. You've got to look around all the tables, tables to see if your name's somewhere, if you really have a seat and you were really invited. Uh, you, you know, we get there, and, and our names are written there in heaven. We're to rejoice in that. You know, Paul tells us in Romans 8 about the one who's chosen us, predestined us, called us, and so forth. You know, and you hear the church argue over those. What does this mean? Is it, you know, five-point Calvinism? You know, Paul tells you the answer there. 
what shall we say to these things? He, he, he spits it out. He's not worried about Calvin. He's, you know, he's over a thousand years before Calvin. He spits out these sweet, incredible biblical truths. And then he says, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He said, that's what all of that stuff should produce in our hearts and minds. If God is for us, who can be against us? That's wonderful for you and I living in a troubled world. But we may be the last connection, the last segue to a lost neighbor or a lost spouse or a lost child, a lost classmate, a lost person we're working with. We may be the last connection to eternity in heaven. We need to take that seriously as we look at what's going on around us. He says here, look at verse 9. Now, if any man have an ear, let him hear. Now, certainly that's to, to us, obviously. If any man has an ear, let him hear. But you notice there's something missing here as well. Chapters 2 and 3, every time it says it, it says, anyone who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. The churches aren't here anymore. Churches went up in chapter 4. So now it's any man that has an ear. No churches anymore. Anyone has an ear to hear, let him hear. Who's going to be reading these chapters? You know, we're, we're going to be in heaven. Hell's going to break loose on earth. We ain't seen nothing. This is tough. you got to wear a mask. You know, that's, that's tough. Talk to World War II veterans or Vietnam veterans or people in Muslim countries. You, oh, you wear a mask. You know, go buy food. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be out of control. And there's going to be, remarkably, people that would never have picked up a Bible, but imagine the number of Jews that will have come to faith through the 144,000 that are going to be studying the book of Revelation for the first time. And it's going to be saying to them, look, if you have an ear to hear, you need to hear this. You need to hear this. And look at the challenge. It says, he that leadeth into captivity, he's going to be led into captivity. He that killeth with the sword, he must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and faith of the saints. He said, there's going to be just retribution. You're living through this. You're seeing the end of Christ. You're seeing the injustices. You're seeing the slaughter. Understand, this is all going to be made right. If you have an ear to hear, you need to hear. These things may come upon you from a sovereign, loving Father. That's hard to reconcile. He said, but please understand. He said, those who are leading people into captivity, they themselves will be led into captivity, outer darkness that never ends. Those who kill with the sword, they themselves must be slain with the sword. What this calls for is the patience, the patience and the faith of the saints. What this calls for is your ability to bear up. Patience there is the ability to bear up under pressure. It's not just waiting for the bus. It's waiting for the bus while cars are splashing water on you and you know people are cursing at you. It's, it's, a, it's bearing up under something. This is what call, it calls for the patience in the faith of the saints, the believers during this era. The world we're in today, look, 
If we look around, we shouldn't be surprised by anything we're seeing. It's headed here. It's not headed where we want it to be headed, right? It's headed where we don't want it to be headed in a sense. The part of this I want it to be headed to is the Lord descending with a shout, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and blow that trumpet and get me out of here. You know? Uh, you know, really. I mean, Lord, if you're not going to bring a revival, if you're going to let us see an ingathering that we've never dreamed of, then just why should we take up oxygen? Just get us out of here, right? If it ain't going to get better, get us out of here. Get the rest of the show rolling. If there's a reason for us to be here, it's for his reasons. And then, you know, we, we look at that. There are those who worship the beast. That's terrible. They worship the devil. Well, I don't want to bow my knee before him in any small categories in my life. I don't want to worship him in any bit of compromise or sin or intoxication, pornography, hatred, unforgiveness. The whole world's going to worship him. I want to worship the King of Kings and the Lord. Worship is the idea of bending the knee and, and bowing before. It's time for us to worship our Savior like we never have before. Amen. You know, just an interesting season. And these things happening around us need to be speaking to our hearts. We can't take them for granted. He's given us the light to see the things that are ahead of us. He said, I told you things that are coming so you will know. How wonderful. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus after the service, get up here. We want to pray with you, give you a Bible. You need to ask Christ for forgiveness. He's got the answer to the real problems. The Antichrist is going to have phony answers to phony problems that are temporary. Jesus Christ has the, the answer to sin and death and eternity. And if you've never come to him, forget about church. If you've never come to Jesus Christ, you need to get up here after the service and let us pray with you. Because there's another Christ coming. And the whole world is going to marvel after him because he's going to do miracles. He's going to rise from the dead. The whole world is going to wander after the beast and worship him. That's the wrong Christ. That's the instead of Christ. Don't worship him. Worship the real Christ today, Jesus Christ, and let us introduce you to him if you've never been saved. You come up at the end of the service. Let's stand. Let's lift our voices. Let's worship our king. Father, I know you've overheard. We put these things before you, Lord. And we do pray if there's any among us that have never come, Lord, that I know this is such a strange place to be, Lord. But even through this, you speak and you promise a blessing and Lord, I pray you would take hold of the hearts of, of any here that have been distant, that would be reminded, Lord, that backsliding or being a prodigal is, is just an exercise in frustration. You'd put your arms around them and bring them home. Lord, pray for those who may have come in if, that are visiting or they're here. Maybe they've been coming and listening, but they have not made that decision. Lord, would you take hold of their hearts today and change their eternal destiny? Lord, we put these things before you, you add to the church daily, such as should be saved, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.